Psalm 41. Blessed is he who considers the poor. Yahweh will deliver him in the day of evil. Yahweh will preserve him and keep him alive. He shall be blessed on the earth, and he will not surrender to him. He will not surrender him to the will of his enemies. Yahweh will sustain him on his sickbed and restore him from his bed of illness. I said, Yahweh, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil against me. When, he'll, when will he die and his name perish? If he comes to see me, he speaks falsehood. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes abroad, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me. An evil disease, they say, has afflicted him. Now that he lies, he shall rise no more. Yes, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate bread with me, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, Yahweh, have mercy on me and raise me up, that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me, because my enemy does not triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and Amen. Okay. So this is the last psalm in book one. Now, if you hadn't already realized, the book of Psalms, 150 chapters, is broken into five smaller books. So it's kind of like a Pentateuch of Psalms. Penta means five. And the first five books of the Bible is called the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the law. The Psalms is also broken into five books of praise or five books of singing. So Psalm 41 is the last, of, the last psalm of book one. So when we, um, some interesting things to note about this, because when the songs were all organized by whoever did that, you know, the, the person who collated them all together and put them into a book, they didn't just slap them together in any old order, but there was a plan. And so, for example, the whole of book one seems to be all Psalms of David. But tomorrow, we no longer have a Psalm of David. It's now gonna change. It's gonna be all starting with 12, I think, Psalms of Korah all in a row. Now, but interestingly, the end of book one finishes with a benediction. In fact, all the five books finish with a benediction. And the benediction was the very last verse of this psalm. Psalm 41, verse 13, which says, very simply, Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. So that's the benediction. And that little phrase is like often the greeting or the blessing at the end of a church service, which like declares it all over. So we've just had a little blessing at the end of the book one to declare book one over, <laughs> which I think is very cool. But there's something very else very cool going on here too. Book one of, uh, sorry, Psalm one of book one started out with this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And so book one started out with this idea of the type of person who's blessed is someone who walks with God and keeps their mind focused and thinking about him. We get to Psalm 41, the last Psalm of Book 1, and it starts out with this. Blessed is the man, or in this, that would be the NIV, blessed is the one who considers the poor. So this Psalm finishes the book with the idea of the person who does certain things is also blessed. So it's like bookends. The Book 1 starts and finishes with the idea of what it means to be blessed, at the start, you're blessed 
the Lord blesses you if you're someone that thinks about him and follows his ways. And the psalm ends with the thought that you're blessed if you're someone who's mindful of the poor and the needy. These are like your bookends. The end and the beginning of book one of the psalms. So all of that's very, very cool. And um, so I've decided to call this psalm a gospel psalm, and you'll see why in just a second. So in verse one, it says, Blessed is he who considers the poor, God will deliver him in the day of evil. Now, when we think of the poor, we think of people who don't have enough money, people who can't feed themselves. And that's certainly a definition of the poor. That's a true definition and something we're mindful of. You know, in the world today, they have an official definition of anyone who lives on less than, is it $5 a day or something like that? Those are considered the poor, or at least the poorest of the poor. In Australia, there are people who are living on, say, less than five or $600 a week, and they're considered poor, something like that. I don't have the exact figures there. So we have a relative, you know, in Australia, which is a wealthy country by comparison to most, we have our own relative standard of what it means to be poor. You know, here in uh, Peace, we have a ministry called Christians Against Poverty. It's a global, like a, a nationwide ministry. We've kind of got the local branch of it. But, you know, we help people who are struggling with poverty. But these people often, it's like too much debt or things like they've lost their job for the moment. Often their income might be in the thousand too, 3,000 a month. So it's not that they're not earning good money, it's often other circumstances, which just means they can't balance the budget, pay their bills, that type of thing. So they're poor, according to our standard, according to you know our perspective, but they're not poor, um, like destitute. You know, Often they're still eating food and that. When the Bible said he who considers the poor, we often think of like, say, starving people in Somalia or Ethiopia, something like that. However, uh, I've got written here, the definition of being poor in the mind of God, Yeah, when God says the poor, what's he thinking of? It's broader or deeper than our own definition. We think about food and money only, but when Jesus was in the synagogue in Capernaum in Luke chapter four, and he was reading and he stood up and read from the scroll and he said that he had come to deliver the poor and he had come to feed the hungry, we know that he did feed the hungry you know, a couple of times he fed the, the 5,000 and the 4,000. We know that he did give food away. Uh, we know he gave some money away on a few occasions. But that's really not what he did. When he came to help the poor, in his mind, he was doing something a bit different to what we often think. In his mind, the poor are the people that don't know the Lord. They don't know the gospel. They're cut off from Christ. In, his, in Christ's mind, these are the poor. And uh, because they lack true riches. So true poverty is something of another order entirely. And if you've got a friend, your friend may be a millionaire, but if he doesn't know the Lord, he's poor. And you might think that he's not that poor because you know, oh, he's doing okay in life, but we don't get a sense of the true destitute state of poverty that people are in when they don't know Christ. When the Bible says here that blessed is the one who considers the poor, we tend to think only about money. We never think about the gospel. And uh, well, I mean, I mean, I think about the gospel, but you know, when somebody realizes that the, the true poverty is a lack of the gospel and they make it their life's mission to put the gospel where it's needed, that is a person who considers the poor. 
I have to just make it very clear. Christ came and he said he had come to help the poor and what he did was a gospel purpose. That was his main work. So blessed are those who take the gospel to heart as important. And then verse 2 has a promise. It says God will preserve him, keep him alive. You know, that person, the person who's mindful of the gospel, it says he shall be blessed on the earth and God will not surrender him to the will of his enemies. So when someone has makes the gospel a priority in their life, there are promises. Now, at the same time, we must look at the promises in the deeper way as well, <laughs> because we all know of missionaries who've been speared to death. You know, Now, they're people who've taken the gospel in a deeper way, and yet the, because they've taken the gospel to heart, it's brought them to an untimely end. And you might say, wow, God didn't keep his promise to them. But no, once again, you're looking at the the meaning of these things in earthly terms and not looking at them with the more real meaning. So we often think that, you know, eternity, it's just kind of like a figurative thing. And, and you know, yeah, sure, God's going to preserve your life. and we, But we think of this life as oh so real and eternity as kind of like a consolation that, oh, yeah, the Lord will look after you in eternity. But it's like it's not a real thing at all when it's the more real thing. So when the Lord says that God will not surrender you to the will of your enemies, who's your enemy? You're thinking it's some person, you know, it's you know, it's some person in the jungle with a spear in the case of certain missionaries, or you're thinking it's, your, you know, that person at work that hates your guts and teases you every day. You're thinking of your enemies in terms of people. Christ is thinking of enemies in terms of sin, the devil, you know, things that destroy lives, things that have destroyed the earth, um, Christ saying that he will not deliver you into the will of your enemies. You know, sin will have no hold upon you. The devil will have no grasp upon you. You'll be delivered into eternal life. Your life will be preserved. These are very good promises and they're wonderful. God will sustain and preserve your life. There's no doubt about it. The life that will be sustained is the ultimate life, the one that matters the most. So there's a more real meaning at work here. And that's why I called this a gospel psalm. Because blessed is the one who considers the poor. The Lord will preserve him. Isn't that wonderful? I think it's terrific. And of course, David then goes on to have his the next bunch of verses describe how he was sick and he was not doing well. And his enemies were saying, you know, ha-ha, he's going to die. You know, this is wonderful news. And David is saying, but no, the Lord will sustain me. Well, his life was a physical example of the actual reality of what applies to us. David um, David had a, some, a terrible situation where it says here in verse 9, My own familiar friend, the one in whom I trust, trusted, the one who ate bread with me, has lifted up his heel against me. David had a very close friend, someone that would even eat with him at the table. You know, so they would share meals together and this friend turned against him. We're almost entirely certain that this is Ahithophel. We talked about Ahithophel when we were going through the book of 2 Samuel. Ahithophel sided with Absalom against David and there were reasons for that. We talked about all of those. And um, so David had actual enemies on the ground, but these are the ones that, that we see um, they, they speak to us of our enemies, which, you know, are, are also the Lord's enemies. And the Lord, when he was at the Last Supper with all of his disciples, he dipped bread <laughs> in the bowl and gave it to who? Judas. And what we got here is a prophecy. 
my own familiar friend, the one in whom I trusted, the one who has eaten bread with me, has lifted up his heel against me. So even in the middle of this psalm, there's a prophecy about what would happen to Christ. So David was speaking about his betrayal by a close friend, but Jesus also had a betrayal by his close friend. And um, it may be that you and I go through some betrayals too, but even if we do, not everyone does. Most people will have some small betrayals because we live in the earth and people are broken and uh, people do things sometimes that we don't expect. But even if there are betrayals in our lives, one thing we have for sure, we have the Lord. We have his promise that's in this psalm that he will preserve us. He will be with us. And the psalm finishes with this wonderful encouragement. Blessed is God. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. No matter what happens to us, we have an unshakable Lord. And that's the most terrific thing of all. Tomorrow, join me for book two. And I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for the Psalms. Lord, they speak to our hearts. I thank you, Lord, that you went through betrayal for us. And Lord, we're so grateful that we can cling to Christ despite what does happen. And uh, Lord, I thank you that even amongst it all, great good is among us. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.